Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing well. Had a great weekend. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Judges, chapter 8. We're going to be reading from verse 1 through to 17. Uh, but just if you're new and you haven't been with us, we are in a series in the book of Judges, specifically looking at the life of Gideon, and we are three weeks in. Next week is our last one. And today I'm excited because I really believe that God has got an incredible word of encouragement for every single one of us as sons and daughters of the Lord and for us as a church. But there is also a significant warning in what we're going to be sharing this morning for each and every single one of us, as well as for us as a church. So just to fill you in quickly so far in the journey of Gideon, Gideon was a weak, cowardly type guy who was threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding from the enemies of God, and God comes to him and calls him a mighty warrior, calls him up into the space to lead an army, which Gideon thought were going to be thousands of men, but God whittles it down to 300, and God, through Gideon and with the 300 men that he had given to him, goes and defeats the entire Midianite army, and uh, there is massive victory for the kingdom of Israel. But it doesn't end there. And this is where we pick up. There were still two kings left, King Zeba and Zalmunna. And God tells Gideon to pursue them. And in the pursuit of these men, Gideon encounters some difficulty along the way from unexpected places and from unexpected people. And so the sermon this morning is entitled Pride, Politics, and persistence in the kingdom of God. Gideon experienced some pride and some politics along the way, but persisted, and we're going to find that out just now. But just as a way of introduction, I want to say that every single one of us, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, as sons and daughters, every single one of you has a call in your life to fulfill the mandate God has given you. Every single one of you has got a call to honor God with your life. And as a church, God has got a call on us collectively to fulfill the mandate that he has given to us. And we are going to, and you are going to in your life, as you pursue hard after God, you are going to encounter resistance. And it's going to look like, not totally all the time only these things, but it is going to look like at some stage having to deal with pride, maybe in your heart and in the hearts of others. It's going to look like politicking. And uh, I pray that God, as you encounter that, gives you the ability to persist for his kingdom, not only as individuals, but for us as a church as well. So the passage that we're going to read, just it, it really does, it gives us a glimpse into that side of human nature where people care nothing about nothing else other, about nothing else other than their pride and personal glory. But on the other hand, we're going to see people who are motivated not for themselves and by themselves, but by God for his glory. We're going to see people who cared nothing other than for self-interest and uh, getting their own way and as a result missing the Lord's agenda. But we're also going to see a group of people who persisted in the face of great opposition, criticism, and overwhelming odds to achieve for God what God had called them to achieve. And in the end, those who chose and those who choose to honor God will be raised up because God is a God that goes beyond our circumstances. That's why the series is called God Beyond Our Circumstances. And as we honor God, it doesn't matter what opposition or criticism you come against or that you come face to face with. God is going to raise you up and he will achieve through you for his glory what he said he would. So let's read together. It seems like a lot, but it's not. Verse 1, and we're going to skip a little bit here and there, and we're going to go all the way through to verse 17. If you don't have your Bibles, the scriptures will come up behind us on the screen. 
Verse 1, the men of Ephraim said to him, talking about Gideon, why have you done this to us, not calling us when you sent us, when you went to fight against the Midianites? And they argued with them violently. So he said to them, what have I done now compared to you? Is not the gleaning of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebezer? God handed over to you Oreb and Zeb, the two princes of Midian. What was I able to do compared to you? When he said this, the anger against him subsided. Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted, but still in pursuit. He said to the men of Succoth, Please give some loaves of bread to the people who are following me, because they are exhausted, for I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the princes of Succoth asked, Are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hands, that we should give you bread to your army? Gideon replied, very well, when the Lord has handed Zeba and Zalmunna over to me, I will trample your flesh on thorns and briars from the wilderness. He went from there to Peniel and asked the same thing of them. The men of Peniel answered just as the men of Succoth had answered. He also told the men of Peniel, when I return in peace, I will tear down this tower. Now Zeba and Zalmunna were in Kekor, and with them was the army of about 15,000 men who were all those left of the entire army of the Quedamites. Those who had been killed were about 120,000 warriors. Gideon traveled on the caravan route east of Noba and Jogbeha and attacked their army while the army was unsuspecting. Zeba and Zalmunna fled, and he pursued them. He captured these two kings of Midian and routed the entire army. Going to verse 15. Then he went to the men of Succoth and said, Here are Zeba and Zalmunna. You taunted me about them, saying, Are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your power that we should give bread to your exhausted men? So he took the elders of the city and he took some thorns and briars from the wilderness and he disciplined the men of Succoth with them. He also tore down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of that city. It's very clear after reading this passage of Scripture that there were not entirely, uh, there were groups of people that were not entirely happy with Gideon and with what God had done through Gideon despite the huge victory that he had over the Midianites and that God was the one who was doing it. Some of the people in Israel that Gideon and his men come face to face with are just more concerned about their personal profit and pride to care anything about helping them. They failed to grasp that God was doing something for their nation. They failed to grasp the bigger picture and were too focused on their own interests and ended in some really deep hot water as a result right at the end. Some of the people that Gideon and his men find are incredibly proud. So point, point one, some were proud. And, and church, as we journey together as a church into the season that God has got us in, we go, we're going to come up against opposition from people who are carrying pride in their hearts, outside and inside. You as an individual, as you pursue the Lord, as you pursue God's kingdom agenda for you, His mandate for you, you're going to find people in your workplace, on the sports fields, in varsities, at schools, wherever it is that you find yourself, you're full of pride that are going to push up against the agenda that God has for you. And we need to be prepared for that. There were people who were proud. It says, the men of Ephraim said, why have you done this to us? Not calling us when you went out to fight the Midianites. And that says they argued with them violently. It might be helpful to, 
to help you understand that this was not an honorable plea. This wasn't like, like valor and the Ephraimites calling out and saying, hey, we really wanted to be in battle with you. But if, 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 if that was the case, they would, have, they would have showed concern. Hey, Gideon, next time, please just give us a call. We're really concerned about you. 300 men, you could have given us a shout. We've got a whole army here that you didn't tap into. Next time, please, brothers, call us. We'll help you. They argued violently. And we'll get into why just now. But just so that you know, the Ephraimites were the largest tribe in Israel. And at this time, the tabernacle of God was in Shiloh, which was in Ephraim. And the Ephraimites had descended from Joseph and his Egyptian wife. And they were a tribe who was proud. They were a tribe who was proud of its heritage, proud of its influence, proud of its power. They wanted the respect of the rest of the tribes. But the thing about the Ephraimites was that they were often on the wrong side of spiritual matters. Later during the reign of Judge Jephthah, the tribe of Ephraim would again complain that they weren't called to battle. But in Hosea chapter 7, it says that God called the Ephraimites a cake not turned. If you don't know what that means, what the analogy is, basically, in other words, it just means it was a cake that was burnt on the bottom and soft on the top. That's a cake that was burnt and hard on the bottom and soft on the top. In other words, they were a tribe that was hot to the things of the world and cold to the things of God. Ephraim was often marked by trouble and pride and selfishness. And in the case of Gideon, the reason why they argued so sharply with him was because they were jealous of his victory. They were jealous that they weren't part of the spoils of war. They were sorry that they had missed out and they were angry because they were now not the objects of glory. In their eyes, Gideon and his men were, but the reality was God was being glorified. And I want to say this to you, brothers and sisters, as God calls you to the things that he's called you to do, you're going to come up against people who will not celebrate what God is doing in your life, who will not celebrate what God is doing in your life and want to see you squashed for no other reason other than they're jealous of what God is doing. You're going to find people who just do not want you to succeed. And if you give credence to their calls for you to step down and to stop pursuing, you're going to end up stuck. As a church, there are going to be people who are not happy with what God is doing simply because of selfishness, narcissism, and self-interest. We cannot pay attention to that. God has called us as a church to fulfill a mandate. It is to continue the work of Jesus. God has called us as a church to be bold, and we're going to come up against resistance, and some of it is going to look like people just not wanting us to succeed. From the outside, from the world, from culture, from society, and sadly we'll see just now also from within the church. The Ephraimites were typical of those who were just full of self-pride. I, I grew up in the Eastern Cape, little town, little city called East London. And just outside East London is one of the most beautiful camping sites you've ever been to. It's called Arena. If you've ever been there, you'll know it's just beautiful. It won the most beautiful campsite in South Africa a number of years in a row. And it's just this fantastic campsite, green lawns, camping places, lovely river, just really is beautiful. But the one thing that I loathe about Arena is they've stockpiled it full of peacocks. Right? If People don't like hardy dars. I hate peacocks. I'll take a hardy dar any day. If you know how loud a peacock is, especially at 5 o'clock in the morning or in the evening, it just makes a racket. It doesn't matter how beautiful they are. Right? The noise is atrocious. And this campsite is full of them. 
And what happens is they spread out their tails and it looks all good and they flash it about. And if they drop one, that's fine. You pick it up and you put it in a vase at home. That's wonderful. But that's all I ever want of the peacock is its feather in my home. But it makes a noise and it displays its feathers and it's looking great. The problem is as soon as danger comes, they disappear. They disappear. The feathers go down and they're off. They are a cowardly bird. And this is exactly what the men of Ephraim were like. Just out there to display their feathers so that everybody can see how great they are and to hear their voice. But as soon as challenge comes, as soon as the call comes to go to battle, as soon as the call comes to get on, to get on board and get involved with what God wants for this church and for you to be doing, all of a sudden the feathers go down and they disappear. It's all about the noise and the look more than it is about the heart and the character. A peacock really is a coward. The men of Ephraim just wanted to squawk, display their feathers, not get involved, not join, not seek to follow God's will, but would hesitate without fault to claim glory. There are plenty of people like that still around outside in the world looking to take down those who want to serve God. The enemy wants to do that to you and he wants to do that to us as a church. There are plenty of people, sadly enough, within the church who still have that attitude as well. And God's people cannot afford that attitude and that outlook. But I want you to notice the control of Gideon. Instead of reacting in anger to the criticism, Gideon responds very graciously. In verse 2, Gideon reminds him that the Lord has blessed the Ephraimite tribe. He says, he's blessed you more than any of those around us. He says, in other words, he says to these guys, look, your gleanings, your, your harvest, our harvest combined is, is, is not as much as the leftovers of your harvest. And God has given to you two of the princes of the Midianites. Gideon was not motivated or stirred by his emotions to respond in anger in an ungodly way. He was motivated by the glory of God and so responds in an appropriate way and strokes the ego of the Ephraimites and all of a sudden they disappear. It's all they ever wanted was just to be acknowledged. When you're doing something for the Lord, you can expect to be criticized, even when you're doing nothing wrong. But you can especially expect to be criticized by those who are doing nothing. Right? It's easy to lash out and to tell them off. It's easy to get angry when attacks come and to lose your emotions. But instead of getting sidetracked by a critics, church, I want to encourage you as individuals and as a church, let's make sure that we respond the way Jesus did with love and with grace. And just remember to keep your eyes fixed on the task that God has given to you to do. Because one day, you will have to give an account, not to those who have challenged you and have stood in your way as an individual and to us as a church. You will have to give an account to the Lord Jesus himself. And on that day, your critics will be silenced. Maybe until the day you die, you'll have opposition in whatever it is that God has called you to do. You cannot be swayed by that because you will stand before the Lord and the Lord alone to give an account of what you've done. So we do his work regardless of what proud peacocks and cruel critics want to do. So some were proud, some were political. Look at verse 4 to 9. Gideon and 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted but still in pursuit. He said to the men of Succoth, Please give some loaves of bread to the people who are following me because they are exhausted, for I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the princes of Succoth asked, Are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hands that we should give you bread to your army? Give bread to your army? Gideon replied, Very well then. When the Lord has handed Zeb and Zalmunna over to me, I will trample your flesh. 
He went from there to Peniel and asked the same from, from them. The men of Peniel answered just the same as the men of Succoth had. And he also told the men of Peniel, when I return in peace, I will tear down this tower. Gideon makes a very, very simple request. Guys, we're fulfilling God's mandate. God is giving us victory over our enemies. It's not complete. Most of them are gone. But there's these two kings that we need to pursue. My men are tired. We've been fighting a long time. Just give us bread and water, please. It's a simple request. He asks both Sakoff and Peniel for this. It should have been a request that was given without reserve, without any complication. It should have just been, yes, here we go. These are towns. These towns are led by Israelites, God's people, who are on the side of Gideon, supposedly. But then they offer this really shameful refusal and response. Do you have their kings in custody is what they ask Gideon. In other words, this is what they're doing. They are playing politics. They are politicking because they know that Gideon still has to go and get them. And so essentially what they're saying by asking him, do you have them in your hands, is you don't. They're not asking a question. They're making a statement. The statement is you don't have them. And so you could still lose. And if you lose and we gave you bread and water, they're going to come back to us and they're going to nail us. And so we're going to wait to see which way the winds blow. And when it blows in our favor, then we will help you. When it works out the way we want it to work out, but we're not taking a chance by helping you regardless of what God is doing. Never mind that you're our brothers in need of help. We're going to just let it be because we want to be on the winning side and it's too early to pick. Their tone is one of taunting and mocking and it reveals their complete lack of faith in what God was doing. I just want to say that as you strive to fulfill the Lord's call on your life as a servant of the Lord and as we strive as a church corporately to fulfill God's mandates to us, our biggest challenges, sadly enough, may not only come from the outside but from within the church. Some of the biggest disappointments you will face and the church at large will face will come from those within God's camp who have lost a discerning heart and ability to hear the voice of the Lord and are filled with pride and desire to politic more than to get on board with what God is doing. The leaders of these towns are waiting to see what the best option was for them and they were afraid to commit. They sat back with arms folded Let's see what happens first. Let's see if things turn out our way and the way we want before we get involved. Let's sit back and let others do the hard work. When the time is right and it looks good, we're going to jump in and then we'll revel in the glory. It reminds me of that kid's story. It's one of my favorite stories to share with my children. It's about Mother Hen and her chicks who bake a bread. Have you heard that story? Right, so mother hen gets some corn, she grinds the corn, she takes the corn to the bakery, they make dough, they bake the bread and all that, but along the way she's been asking these other animals, pig, dog and cat, to help. And all the way, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, they don't, until the bread's baked and then mother hen says, hey, who wants to come help us eat the bread? And then everyone's like, yes, we'll come help and eat. And she says, no, 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 this is for me and my chicks, you guys have helped nothing. In the church, you have people like that who will sit back and go, I'm not going to get involved until things go my way. I'm not going to support this or support that. I'm just going to sit back and until this starts to happen, until the leadership, until the pastoral team, until my life group leaders, until the youth leaders, until this, until that, until somebody else does something that I'm convicted of but I'm not willing to help get done, until that's done, I'm not going to do anything. And the people of Succoth and Peniel refused to support the work of God. 
they were clearly demonstrating that they were against the work of God. See, you get sin of commission and sin of omission. Just because you might not be doing something actively sinful, not doing the right thing is just as sinful. Like the Ephraimites, they only wanted to find fault with Gideon to protect their own kingdoms. But what they failed to realize was that by getting on board with what God was doing and supporting those who God had called to go and to take ground, they were going to actually bring blessing upon themselves. Instead, they chose something else. It's like when the people of God called for a king. God said to Samuel, don't worry. They haven't denied you. They've denied me. So they weren't denying Gideon and his men. They were denying God himself, the support God was asking for. Then there's a solemn response from Gideon. Because these two cities refuse to help him, Gideon tells him that they will face judgment when he returns the victor over the Midianites. He reminds him that there is a price to pay for standing against the Lord's work. Here's the warning for us. Every single one of you has a unique individual calling on your life to fulfill what God wants for you. But you also have a unique gift. You're part of a unique body. And you have a responsibility to bring what God has called you to bring to this church. Not just the eldership, not just the pastoral team, not just your life group leaders, not just the people you perceive to be in leadership, but you have something to bring to this community. And if you're actively engaged in apathy, sitting back, folding your arms because of some political reason or some pride in your heart, you better repent before God and get going with what he wants you to do as an individual and as a member of this church. Right? It would do us well to remember that one day we will stand before the Lord and have to give an account to him for the services we've rendered. Remember the one five and ten talents parable that Jesus told. Better we should give an account for doing his work, even when we fail, than for opposing to do the will of God. So some were proud, some were politicking, but then there were some that were persistent. And I believe this is where we're at, right? We're all persistent, hopefully. I've had to work through pride in my life. I've had to work through my desire to politic in different areas of my life, especially within the church but I pray that God would make me a persistent man as well as you make you persistent men and women of God. It says, Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and crossed it. They were exhausted but still in pursuit. Gideon traveled on the caravan route east of Nohab and Jogbeha. That was the worst name for me to try and pronounce. And attacked their army while the army was unsuspecting. Zeba and Zalmunna fled and they pursued them. He captured these two kings of Midian and routed the entire army. While some people walk in pride, while some people walk trying to politic in everything that they do, some people just are determined to get on with the business of God and are persistent in doing the things God has called them to do. Gideon and his men persisted and persevered in God's work, and he gives them the victory. Instead of being discouraged, instead of being defeated, in my home we call it ladder lip and gravel rash. In other words, your lip hangs so low, it scrapes on the gravel, all right? And you get a rash because you're so upset. Instead of being like that, instead of being turned away from the callous hearts of the men of Ephraim, um, not Ephraim, Peniel and Ephraim, yeah? No. Succoth, thank you. Instead of being turned away by their callous hearts, they pursue God's agenda. I love verse 4. It's, it says, they were exhausted but still in pursuit. They were exhausted but still in pursuit. These men were tired and weary of battle. 
They were hungry and in great need of rest, yet they carry on, and I love that attitude. And I want to say that I am part of an amazing church, and not just the leadership have this attitude. I've seen it in our congregational members. I've seen it in you, people who do not get tired and weary, and when you do, find strength and strength in the Lord. I'm part of an amazing pastoral team who love this church and who serve to no end the glory of God and the people of this church, and I'm part of an amazing eldership who love this church and who serve this church and who lead this church well for the glory of God. And we recognize that as leaders, we're going to be held to account before the Lord. But let me tell you what, it is a joy and a blessing to serve regardless of the challenges. And it's been amazing to be a part of what God is doing in this season in our church. I don't know where, as a Western church, we've got the idea that you can just sit down on the Lord as if he hasn't given you a personal mandate to get involved with his kingdom agenda. At the very least, the, the command that trumps all other commands, besides I love the Lord, that's the greatest command, but the command that trumps all others for us is go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Every single one of us has that as a call on our lives. Every single one of us. Where did we ever get the idea that it's okay to just sit back and let the others do the work? We're in a season where we need you as a church. I need you. You need me as a church to step up and to actually start fulfilling our God-given mandates as individuals outside of the church and within the church. There's a statistic that says it's 80-20. 80% of the people do 20% of the work and 20% of the people do 80% of the work. We see it all the time. Because it's a perception that church is about coming to sit down and to receive instead of coming to do both. Receive and to give, to get involved and to serve the Lord. I don't know where we got the idea that we can back off from our spiritual walk. I don't know where we got the idea that we can just join a church and never do anything. I don't know where those ideas come from. They're definitely not from the Lord. We're going to grow weary in battle from time to time, like Gideon and his men. And when we do, we need to stop and take a break. I was reminded that even though they weren't given bread and water in that season, Jesus says that my food is to do the will of my Father. And so where the people will sit back, will not sit back and let you take a rest, where they won't grant you a rest time, where they won't give you support, just remember God knows, and He will, and He's your source of energy and restoration. So when you feel tired, look into the eyes of Jesus, and there you'll find what you need. So while we are here, we're on earth for a very short time, while we are here, let us determine to do all that we can do like Gideon and his men for the glory of God. Gideon and his men defeated the enemies. They captured the Midianite kings. They persevered in the face of opposition and criticism. And they really did enjoy a great victory because they would not be stopped short of victory. Those of us who refuse to quit like Gideon's men and see that God is a God that's beyond our circumstances, those of us who fulfill God's mandate and promise uh, and, and, and purpose for our lives will we'll experience his promise of blessing we'll, we'll experience his, his, his promise of preservation and protection and those of us who pursue God with all our hearts will see God do great things through us as individuals and as a church then right at the end Gideon comes back with the Midianite kings to Sakoth and to Peniel when he came to Succoth, he took 75 of the elders and put them to death by dragging them through thorns and briars until they died. Then he came to Peniel and tore down their tower and killed the elders of that city. 
here's the warning for us. God will not suffer the pride and the politicking and the foolishness of men. His church is too important to him. His glory is too important to him. I don't know what you think is a kingdom priority for the Lord, but let me tell you that the very epicenter of the kingdom of God is the glory of God and the man Jesus Christ. It is his glory, his name, for his renown. Any other thing that you think is a top priority is peripheral to the glory of God. And when men make sideline issues a priority and they put their self-pride in the way, God will take them down. Right? I just want to say that, church, it's a warning to you and to me because I've had to deal with pride in my heart. I've had to deal with politicking in my heart. I've had to repent of that in my heart, and I've seen God remove power for ministry, remove me from effective ministry because I've allowed that stuff in my heart. And I want to say this isn't, uh, now I'm thinking about this person or that person. God wants the focus to be directly on you and on me and on us as a church. God said he will build this church and the gates of hell will not prevail. It doesn't matter who you are. No one is irreplaceable, but God desires for you to be part of what he's doing and for us to be a community of people who love the commission God has given us to continue the work of Jesus. But God will not suffer the foolishness of men. It is his glory and his glory alone. So I don't know where you are today, and I don't know how you would sum up or describe your life, but if you're walking in pride like I've been, if everything in your life is about political advantage, like especially in my home, I can try and politic quite a bit, and I lose badly. I don't know where you are, but before the Lord, you need to do some honest work, and we need to be encouraged by the season that God has got us in as a church, and know that God values you, and we value you because of the gift God has put in you. You are the gift. You are the gift as the person to this church, to this community, and to your family, and to whoever it is that you come into contact with. And like Gideon and his men, you need to pursue God's mandates on your life. God is looking for people in this day that will take their stand and say, I will not back down, despite criticism and hard times. He's looking for those who will get involved with his work and serve him no matter what. If the Lord has spoken to you today, I pray that you would take time to consider his command and his conviction through the Spirit in your life. In Jesus' name. Just wanted to, I don't know, Mark, is it good for a song? Okay, Al, Al is here. Just wanted to end off with worship. We began with worship. I want to end with worship. I just want to pray for us. Just trust that as God has ministered to you and as he's challenged you, that you would respond to him faithfully and that you would pray for each other Pray for this church and trust that God will do a great thing through your life and with us as a church as we continue with Him. So, Father, this morning as, as we've sat in your presence, as we've worshipped you, as you've received from your word, I pray, God, that you would minister to us, not just in this moment as you have been, but that it will continue to permeate our lives as we go into the week and the months and the year that lies ahead. May we be a church, Lord, that embrace the call that you have on us, May we be a church that celebrate the victories you've given us. Deal with opposition with gentleness and love and kindness, but never be tripped up by it, Lord. Lord, as we end off with worship this morning, be glorified in our response to you and our worship to you and our attitude towards you and towards each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.